John 2, 12 through 22 is the scripture text for tonight's message. And that's John chapter 2, verses 12 through 22. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Let's pray. You are very great, Lord Jesus. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. Nobody ever spoke like that. That is absolute insanity, or the most precious truth in the world. Nothing in between. No silliness about an admirable teacher here. You're crazy, Jesus. Or you're God. So come. Don't let anybody get out of this, Lord. Grant that we would see your majesty. In your name we pray. Amen. The story of the wedding of Cana last time ended, remember, by saying that, and the disciples believed on him. Look at verse 11. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed on him. So the miracle And everything surrounding it was a sign, and the sign revealed the glory, and the glory produced the faith. That's the way it works. When your eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit to see the glory of Christ in the things that he does, 
you believe. That's the way belief is awakened. You don't just choose to believe something you regard as stupid or boring or unattractive. You believe because you've seen something wonderful and magnificent. It draws you into it. So that's the way it ended last time. Now, today's story ends similarly. The story is about the driving out of the money changers from the temple. And then the leaders say, show us a sign, sign. And he says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And then verse 22 ends the story like this. When therefore he was raised up from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed. The scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. So story, belief, story, belief, which simply reminds us of what? He's on task. <laughs> He's on task from John twenty thirty one. These things have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God and believing have life in his name. He's on task. He's always on task. He knows what he's after. My faith and yours. And he's continually revealing the glory of the son because seen glory produces faith. Now, verses 13 and 14 in this story set the stage for Jesus' action. So let's let the stage be set. Verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, <clears throat> in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. So inside the temple court, so you got this big court with a wall around it, and then the actual holy place in the middle, big court where the people could pray and prepare. In this court, there are pens of, of uh, oxen and pens of sheep, and there are cages piled up, perhaps, of birds, pigeons. And there are the sellers sitting. They're just sitting around waiting to make a sale. And then there are these money changers for this reason. These are pilgrims. Steady flow of people from all over the empire. Jewish people in the diaspora who are coming to make their sacrifices and they're bringing the wrong kind of money. It's like we bring the wrong kind of money to England or Germany or Nigeria and we have to go to the money changer and get the right kind of money so we can buy our oxen and our sheep and our pigeons. So that's what's, that's the setting there. And the outward reason for this affair is pretty obvious. These folks come from a distance. They didn't bring oxen from Italy, for goodness sakes. They're not going to carry their sheep from Egypt. They, they just need to get someone to get there. And, and so they need help. And this would certainly be a good idea, wouldn't it? Loving thing to do, meet their needs, make it convenient. So that's the situation. And now the question is, how did Jesus respond 
to this situation. And we read that in verses 15 and 16. Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. So he didn't approve. Right? Don't want to overinterpret. Jesus did not approve of what he found here. Why? What's the problem? Don't jump too quickly to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's all, it's recorded in every gospel, something like this. In Matthew, it says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You make it a den of robbers. And here in John, Jesus didn't say either of those. He didn't call them robbers. And he didn't say this is a house of prayer. So don't, don't jump away from John too quickly. Is it even the same event? In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this happens at the end of his three-year ministry. In John, it happens at the beginning of his three-year ministry. Hmm. So, you got two possibilities. One, John put it in the beginning and didn't claim any chronological accuracy for it. He just told it. So you, you don't say it's wrong because he didn't say that it had to have happened now. That's one possibility. Or the other is it's a separate event. There really isn't any reason to think otherwise than that it's a separate event. He doesn't respond the same, and the outcome is not at all the same. And therefore, that's where I lean. This is a different event than the one told by Matthew, Mark, and Luke at the end of his ministry. So the big question is, What does he say, and what's wrong? What's wrong, Jesus? Why are you so upset? Just trying to be helpful, aren't they? Verse 16, here's what he says. Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. So he didn't call them robbers. Doesn't say the animals are defective, and so they're, you know, dumping lousy animals out of their flock onto these poor pilgrims. He says, they've turned my father's house into a bazaar, an emporium, a market. That's what they've done, and he doesn't like it. 
In fact, he's furious. He made a whip. (laughs) He made a whip. And then he opens the pins. Oxen are big. You hit an oxen with the whip, going to run over somebody. He's mad. He's driving these huge animals around inside the temple and the sheep, bleeding in between them and cutting loose all the pigeons. They're flying around. He's not calm. He's very angry. And when the disciples see it, they connect it with Psalm 69.9, which is quoted here. Zeal is what the verse says in the psalm. Zeal for your house has consumed me and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. So Jesus is consumed with zeal for his father's house and no doubt reproaches were raining down like, what in God's name are you doing, fella? So this verse is coming true. He is filling up the meaning of what David said about his own zeal and his own reproaches. What made him so angry? The contrast that he points out is between my father's house, my father's house, and a marketplace. My father's house means this house is about knowing and loving and fellowshipping with a person, my father. This house, this court, this place is about knowing and loving and communing with and enjoying and speaking to and hearing from my father, a person. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Whom have I in heaven but you, and on earth there is nothing that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may faint, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. These are the affections that well up inside the worshiper in the house, in the courts of God. But that focus has been replaced with trade, a focus on trade. And there is no reference here to the poor folks who are buying the animals. They, they, they don't get any criticism here, at least not explicitly. The people who get criticism are the money changers and the sellers. That's who his anger seems to be directed at. They are selling, they're handling, they're planning, they're positioning, They're changing currency. They're sitting around. They are creating the atmosphere. Instead of doing it outside the temple, some appropriate place outside of the temple, they're doing it right in the place where the cultivation of a sweet fellowship with the living God should be happening. And Jesus is angry about that. So what did he see inside these men? It says down in verse 25, we're going to go to this next week, Lord willing. Look at the end of verse 25. He himself knew 
what was in man. So Jesus, like radar vision, looks at all the sellers and all the money changers. What did he see? He saw that this bazaar, this emporium, was not advancing communion with God. Wasn't helping people know his heavenly father. It was not flowing from love of God. It was flowing from the love of money. That's what he saw. And what made it worse is that religious ritual, a vaunted helpfulness, was covering covetousness and greed. Sound familiar? Aren't you tired of it? I am so sick of it. Petters for the Protestants, made off for the Jews, Slatkin for the Scientologists, Adelaide for the Charismatics, Ponzi after Ponzi after Ponzi with a religious veneer. I'm sick of it. I think if I were not a Christian, I would just check out. Thank you for showing up tonight anyway. You are amazing. Jesus was furious. Not just because they were covetous, but because they cloaked it the way they did. And they used the system of religion the way they did. What he saw was hypocrisy. Religion as a front for greed. Empty forms of loving God plastering over an insatiable love of money. Jesus boils when he sees godliness as a covering for gain. Now he made this really clear. The reason I'm camping on this is because Jesus did repeatedly. This is not an isolated affair, what's going on here. Jesus, with his radar vision, he knew what was in men. He saw right into the legalism of the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests, right through their legalism to their root love of money. Listen to this. This is Luke 16, 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then Luke comments, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and ridiculed him. That's another form of hypocrisy. Shoot the messenger of truth and conviction and rescue yourself with ridicule. People do it all the time. I've tasted it. (laughs) 
you can hear the zeal of Jesus burning in Matthew 23:25. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside you are full of greed. This is such a loving affair here in the temple. It is so loving. We are loving people. We ponzai beneficiaries and benefactors. We love people. You put up a fine display of religious helpfulness in the temple bazaar and you are driven by the love of money. And oh, how sophisticated it gets. It gets so unbelievably sophisticated. Only Jesus can get through it, it seems like. Or recession. But Jesus can get through it anytime. Listen to this one. This is Mark 7. You have a fine way, Jesus says, of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles mother or father should surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Korban, that is, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his mother or father. If you give it to the church, you don't need to support your parents. Give it to the church. It is so subtle, so sophisticated built up with all manner of tradition. Luke twenty forty six. Beware of the scribes who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They eat widows' houses. So, what Jesus saw in the temple was not an isolated thing. Little, you know, questionable worship support ministry. It was the outworking of greed cloaked with religion. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain are they worshiping me. Matthew 15, 8. My father is not being worshipped here. Money is being worshipped in my father's house. Jesus came into the world. Why? To display the infinite worth of his father and to vindicate his father's honor and to free us from the killing effects of the love of money. Let me say that again. Jesus came into the world to display the infinite value and preciousness of his father 
and to vindicate the honor of his father and to free us through that from the killing effects on ministries and churches and marriages and souls of the love of money. So, how do they respond to this? <laughs> how did those folks to whom he just took a whip on the animals and on the people and drove them out with rage in his eyes, how are they responding to this? Here's what they, here's what they say. This is verse 18. So, the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? That's all they say. And the story's going to be over. They won't say anything else. What sign do you show us for doing these things? That's not an encouraging response. Why? Because... In asking for a sign, they are confirming what they're hiding. Why do I think that? It happened before. It, it, it happened several times. I'll read you one of them. Matthew twelve thirty-eight goes like this. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. He's not encouraged by this response. So the question is, what's so evil? What's so adulterous? Adulterous. Adulterous. In asking for a, some proof if you presume to have some authority here and some rights to drive us out of the temple, then prove who you are. The reason Jesus is so displeased with that response is because when they ask it, it's a dodge. It's a trick. It's a ploy. It's slick. It's spin. They don't need more signs to prove what's true. They need hearts to love what they know is true. If you've lived a while and you're observant of people, news, you know that people, including yourself and me, are pretty adept at deflecting the issue off of our hearts, where the real problem is, onto a theoretical problem. You want a big word? An epistemological problem. How do you know what's true? Here. And Jesus looks right through them over and over again and says, You don't need more evidence. Your asking for evidence is trying to justify your spiritual adultery. You got another boyfriend. That's why you're asking me for proof that I'm your husband. You know I'm your husband. 
You've got another boyfriend. It's called money. That's why I call this generation adulterous. An adulterous generation asks for a sign. They're in love with another paramour. And they're covering the affair with issues of, we can't be sure of this. It's not the issue. It's not the issue. Ask some people in this church that I could name who've walked away from God on the vaunted basis of not being sure with their brains and come back years later saying, that wasn't the issue. I just wanted out of here to do my own thing. And I used philosophy in order to justify it. We all have done it. Jesus doesn't like it. Thank God. So how does Jesus respond to their response? They say, show us a sign. We want a sign. He goes with them. Only his answer is doubled. It's a layered answer. Over and over in this gospel, he does this. It's a layered answer at one level and another level. So I'm going to try to listen in on both levels and you, you listen with me. They ask, verse 18, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And here's what he answers in verse 19. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And they respond, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? So they did speak again. I misspoke earlier and I said they didn't speak again. That's it. 46 years, they've been working on this temple. You say, destroy it. I'll build it in three days. And then John comments, verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. Hmm. So here's the way I think he's answering. They said, give me a sign. Give us a sign. And he says, level one, you are destroying the temple. This temple, this temple. When you desecrate the worship of my father with your whitewashed greed, you destroy the temple and you expose it to the wrath of God. And the wrath came 40 years later and every stone was lowered when the Romans destroyed the temple. They destroyed the temple. Destroy this temple. So that's level one. You do what you do and you are bringing down the wrath of God on this building and court because this is a destruction of worship. And that's what this house is for. Level two. That same materialistic, hard-hearted indifference to spiritual reality will kill me. There's a perfect continuity with your destruction of worship in the temple and your destruction of me. 
I and the Father are one. Destroy his worship, you destroy me. It will come to pass. This same destructive behavior in the temple will fall upon me and you will destroy me. That's level two. What does he mean when he says, then, in three days, I will raise it up? Same two levels. Take the second one first. I'm going to raise, I'm going to raise myself from the dead. You're going to kill me. The same impulses of greed and envy and covetousness and hard-hearted indifference to divine reality is going to kill me. And when you kill me, I'm bringing myself out of the tomb. Whoa, really? I thought your father brought you out of the tomb. Do you remember chapter 10 of John? This wasn't the only place where he said this. Let me read you verses 17 and 18 of John 10. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This is glory, folks. Oh, may the Lord open your hearts. To believe this is a glorious Savior talking and then doing. That's level one. Actually, it was two. Now back up to level one. What about the temple that you just said was being destroyed? Do you have any reference to it when you say in three days I will raise it up? He means when this temple goes and I go, which are one, I will bring it, that one and this one, back in three days. Can you make sense out of that? Meaning the function of the temple is now in Jesus. And the temple disappears forever. I say forever because in Revelation, it says there was no temple in the city for the Almighty and the Lamb were the temple. It's over. Because Jesus is the temple. Just one verse to underline that reality. This is Matthew twelve six. Jesus says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Meaning... I'm here. Do you remember chapter 4 of John? The woman at the well. Another one of those little nifty sidesteps. He tells her she's got five husbands and the man she's living with isn't her husband. And she says, by the way, where should we worship? It happens all the time. That's just human nature. And Jesus, in his immense mercy toward this woman, doesn't laugh at her. He says, okay, you want to talk about worship? Let's talk about worship. And here's what he said. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming 
When neither on this mountain where we're standing, nor in Jerusalem at the temple will you worship the Father. The hour is coming and now is here when the worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Not in Mount Gerizim and in Jerusalem, but in spirit and truth. He shifts the categories entirely from geography to spirit. And he is now that. I am the new temple. I raised it up in three days. When I raise myself from the dead in three days, everywhere in all the world, people can go to God through me. They don't need to go to a temple. They don't need to go anywhere. There are no pilgrimages to Jerusalem. There will be no Hajj to Mecca. There will only be movement of heart from money to God. That's the way you go to the temple. You move from money to God and you don't move a muscle. Just cataclysmic movement in your soul. Let me close with a little quiz and see if we can give a Christmas twist to this sermon. I was like, oh yeah, this is Christmas. Gotta, gotta do Christmas. This is all Christmas, if you have ears to hear. But I will make it explicit. A little quiz. Question. Does having a Bethlehem bookstore in the church building contradict this text? Why or why not? You get a half a page to answer. Well, that's your quiz. Got it now? Everybody's working on their answer in their head. Based on the sermon. Got your answers. I'll give you mine. This church building is not the temple of God. Jesus is the temple of God. When he died... And when he rose from the dead, he replaced the temple with himself. Therefore, the real contradiction of this text is not a bookstore in that, but Santa Claus. In Jesus, we meet God. We know God. We fellowship with God. We love God. We find infinite treasure in Jesus. All satisfying God is met in Jesus. Santa Claus, with his moralistic legalism and his sack full of substitute treasures, is the new temple. So you have a choice. You can go with the Santa Claus way of connecting with God. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. So get your act together. That is not good news for me. That's bad news. No gospel in it at all. 
You go that way. You go to that temple to meet your treasure if you want. But I've got better news for you. Way better for sinners. And everybody's walking into the holidays sinning. Everybody. You won't be good. And if he knows what you are doing, you're gone. And we are gone. So I've got a better temple for you. Second choice, you can choose the Jesus way of connecting with God. The Jesus temple. The Santa temple or the Jesus temple. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have authority to take it up again. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Jesus is the new meeting place with God. And he says, not, better watch out. You better not cry. You better not shout. I'm telling you why. He doesn't say that. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast him out. That's good news. That's good Christmas news. That's the best Christmas gift you could ever receive. Let's pray. If you would like to talk to us and get any kind of spiritual counsel or help that would take you on your pilgrimage to the true temple, Jesus, you could... uh, Either come up after the service in any of these services and pray with us, or you could put your name on a piece of paper and phone number, email, and put it in one of the response boxes at the door when you leave, and we'll get to you. Gracious Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his fury at hypocrisy and covetousness and greed and the use of religion to cloak sin and the love of money. Father, I I grieve, I just grieve at the billions and billions and billions of dollars in our free land that are made that way. How many are just waiting to be exposed So, Father, have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon me. I know my sins more intimately than I know anybody's. And I don't like myself. So I ask that you would welcome us, preacher people and people being preached to, that you would welcome us into your free forgiving, accepting, loving, sin-removing, condemnation-overcoming favor. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.